Amen. Amen. Thank you, band. Well, again, it is uh, good to be with you today. My name is Travis, the pastor here. If I haven't met you yet, uh, please, I'd love to get to know you after the service. Please come and find me. I'd love to introduce myself to you, get to know you a little bit, but I do appreciate you being here. Uh, and you, uh, you come in week two of a brand new series that we started last week. We're calling it... <clears throat> calling it the church, the gospel made visible. Um, I confessed to everybody last week, I stole that title from a Mark Dever book. Um, I thought it was really good, so I took it from him. Um, but uh, I really like the, that description of the church. That's really what it is. As we gather together as the people of God, we are to make the gospel visible to one another and to those in our community. So we're going to spend the next several weeks digging into key passages about the church to see what the Lord has to teach us about what the church is, what the church is supposed to do, what the church is supposed to be about as we look ahead to the new year where we officially launch out on our own as our own entity, our own church here. So last week, uh, if you were here with us, you know, we, we talked about uh, coming from Matthew 16, we talked about how the church is built off of Jesus and his word. That's the foundation for the church. Jesus and his word, everything that we say, everything that we do, every decision that we make should be built off of that foundation. Jesus and his word. And I want to continue to build off of what we talked about last week, build off of that foundation. Uh, and so for the next two weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be looking at what the mission of the church is. What, what does scripture teach us about what the church is supposed to do? When we gather as the people of God, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to be about? What is our mission? And, and again, we don't have to come up with our own thing. We don't have to just make up our own mission. The Lord doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord doesn't call us to do that. He tells us right here in his word what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be about. So that's what we're going to dig in over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and as we read just a moment ago, uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 22. And we are going to be digging into verses 30 through 40 of Matthew 22. But uh, just to, to give some more clarity about the mission of the church as you are turning there, uh, again, the, the Bible makes it ex absolutely clear what we're supposed to do. And the Bible makes it clear that we're supposed to do three things. This is what's going to guide our time. It's going to be the overarching theme of our next two Sundays. Uh, he tells us that, that the church is supposed to be about three things. Loving God, loving others, and making disciples. So when we think about what are we supposed to be about as the, the church at Haines Creek, what's our mission as a church? I want you to think in terms of those three things. We are to love God, we're to love people, and we're to make disciples of all nations. So like I said, today uh, we're going to be in Matthew 22, and that is a passage that deals with those first two concepts, loving God and loving people. So another way to, to think about this as we think in terms of, of what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be doing as a church. We, we, we go Jesus, so we, we think about Jesus overarching big, we, we love Jesus. We go hard after Jesus, we make everything about Jesus. And our love for Jesus, our love for God should then filter down into community, loving one another, loving those around us, loving those in our lives, in our world, in our community. So it goes Jesus to community, and that love for Jesus, that love for one another should spill out into mission should spill out into going and making disciples of all nations. So again, that, that just kind of sets up where we're going to be going for the next two weeks. So this is a, uh, this is a key time for us. I, I really would, uh, I want to encourage you. I'm glad you're here today, and I want to encourage you, make sure you're here next week as well as we dig into that third part. So today we're looking at loving God, loving others, and that third part we're going to look at next week is making disciples. So Matthew 22, hopefully you're, you're there already, Matthew chapter 22. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screens behind me. Uh, we also have Bibles over here on the back uh, against the table, uh, on that table back there against the wall. If you don't own a Bible, I'd love for you to take one of those home. That, that's our gift for you. Please grab that today. But Matthew chapter 22, and as we get into this, as we get into this section, into this chapter, what we see is, is this is a chapter where Matthew is showing how Jesus deals with his opponents. So Jesus, throughout his ministry, had people opposing him, trying to trap him, trying to uh, get him to lose his credibility and lose his followers. And typically those opponents uh, were, were the Jewish religious leaders. Now, there was two ruling parties in the Jewish religious system. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were constantly coming after Jesus. And in Matthew 22, we just see this, this one after another, these questions that they're posing to Jesus. And they're not questions in good faith. They're not like actually trying to learn from Jesus. No, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get Jesus to say something against the word of God. So they go, ha, 
I told you, shouldn't listen to this guy. Don't follow him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So that's what he's trying to do. But again, you're, you're trying to trap God himself, and that's never going to work out well for you. So don't, don't do that. Um, and that's what we see in Matthew 22 constantly over and over again. Jesus deals with his opponents in this gracious but, but truthful way. All right, so Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, so if you look back right before this section, you see the Sadducees coming and they're asking Jesus a question. Well, he silenced them, and now the Pharisees are, are going to have their turn. And they gathered together, and, and one of them, a lawyer, uh, and, and this would be a, a lawyer in the terms of they're, they're an expert in the Jewish law, not a lawyer that we would think of in, in our vernacular, our day and age, but this is somebody who is an expert in the Jewish law, expert in the Old Testament. A lawyer asked him a question to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So Jesus is asked a question. He's asked a question, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, that's a great question, and there's actually two. There's two great commandments. The first one, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second one, love your neighbor as yourself. So I want to spend the rest of our time digging into these two commandments. What do they mean for us as individual believers, and what do they mean for us as a collective body of believers? What does it mean for us as a church? So let's dig into this. So our two points today are love God and love people. So real simple, you can follow along hopefully with that. Uh, but love God, first one, let's talk about that. What, what does it mean to love God? Well, when Jesus says we are to love God, what, what is he talking about here? So Jesus says the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And with this passage, Jesus is actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And that, that starts out saying, the Lord your God is one. And you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this comes from, uh, or what was uh, built off of that passage, is a, is a daily prayer that devout Jews would pray every single day. They'd start out their day with this prayer. It was called the Shema. And it would start out with these words from Deuteronomy 6. So those listening to Jesus, if they were devout Jews, which they're Pharisees, I mean, these, these guys were supposed to be the most religious people of all, had the Old Testament memorized backwards and forwards. So when Jesus responds and says, the, the first and great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, they would agree with that. They would say yes to that statement. And look, so would we, right? So would, uh, those of us that are believers in here, when Jesus, when we hear these words of Jesus, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, we say amen to that. I mean, we, we don't because we're Baptists. And we say it in our own hearts. I, I get it. We say it silently to one another. Uh, we, we, we would agree with that statement, right? We, we would say amen to that. Yes, absolutely. That is, yes, 100%. We are to love the Lord our God with, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. So what does that mean? We, we all agree to that statement. But what does it mean? What is Jesus talking about here? When it says that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, it, Jesus isn't dividing us up into, into three different parts, right? It's not like we can love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and yet not love him with our soul. That, that's, not, that's not what he's talking about here. The picture that we're to get, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, what we are to take from that is we are to love God with everything. We're to love God with every part of us, every aspect of who we are, every aspect of our lives. We're to love God with that. This means that, that we are to give full devotion to God. We're to give full devotion to God. We're, we're, we're to give him every part of who we are. We're, we're to hold nothing back from him. That's what this is talking about. That, that's what it means to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We, we give full devotion to God. See, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't call us to just make him a part of our lives, right? It's not like, well, I do this, I do that, I have this hobby, I do this thing. Oh, yeah, and also I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, also, you know, on the side, I tend to follow Jesus every now and then. Like, that, that's, not, that's not the picture that we're given. If you remember from our time last week when we read through a little bit of Matthew 16, we saw Jesus talking about what a disciple is. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me. 
Diedrich Bonhoeffer, in his amazing work, The Cost of Discipleship, opens up by saying, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to love him with every aspect of who we are. We give him everything. We lose our lives for him, out of love for him. He wants it all. He doesn't just want part of us. He wants all of us. That's what it means to love him with everything we have, to give full devotion to him. There is, there's no room for halfway following Jesus. The scriptures don't, don't give us any room for just partially following Jesus, for just making Jesus a part of our lives. There's no room for that. You can't halfway follow Jesus. Uh, at, at the uh, beginning of summer, so it was the, it was the end of May, uh, kids were out of school. Uh, we, as a family, wanted to go see Kendra's family out in Texas. So Kendra's, my wife, uh, is, is from Texas. Uh, her mom lives out there. Some of her extended family live out there. So we try to get out there uh, from time to time, and uh, we, we have... Uh, a newborn, she is now eight months old, but at the time in, in May, she was three months old. Um, and, and from here to Texas, where her mom lives, it's like 16 hours in the car, 15 hours, and then with kids, you add like four or five hours on top of that. It, it's, it's a long way to get out there. So the thought of driving that far with a three-month-old was just terrifying to us. So we're like, no, you know what? We're going to try and fly. Let's look at some, some options for planes. Let's try to make this work. So we found a good deal on American uh, Airlines. So we, we booked that uh, at some point before then, and we flew out at the end of May. So that was the plan. So we, so we all flew out there. And you know what? Our, our kids did awesome. I was like really shocked and impressed. Uh, not that they're not good kids, but like, you know, traveling is just, you know, it can be, it can be rough if you have little kids. You know how that is. Uh, or if you've had little kids in the past. Um, and then also the other thing when you're traveling with kids and you're traveling with a baby, like you just kind of have to bring your whole house with you. Like, you know, you need bottles, you need the baby stuff, you need all of those things that you have, but nobody else has because they don't have a baby. You have the baby. So we got to bring everything. So we, <clears throat> excuse me, our, our kids had like their own little rolly bag and they had a backpack of stuff to do on the plane. So our, our older two had that. Uh, we had, you know, a suitcase that we checked that was filled with all sorts of stuff. And then we had, like, two more carry-ons that Kendra was carrying, and then I was carrying another one, plus, like, backpacks and stuff. Again, we brought our whole house, okay? So that's how it works. Uh, so we, we get there. We, we load up. Uh, plus, we're carrying a car seat, stroller. Again, everything. Just imagine everything. As much as you could possibly bring with you, that's what we did. Uh, so we flew out there. It was awesome. It was great. No issues. And then coming back, the kids did great again. But, but keep in mind, as, as we're exiting the plane. Kendra's got the baby strapped to her in one of those baby carrier things. I'm, I'm wheeling our two carry-ons for us, and each of our kid, again, has their own little carry-on and a backpack. So that's us getting off the plane. Needless to say, it took us a while, but, you know, we, we made it off. And I didn't know this. I learned something new that day. Uh, if you fly American and you come into Atlanta, baggage claim is like downstairs. There's like this secret hidden room they don't tell you about, but that's where baggage claim for American is. So we had to go down an escalator. Yeah, I'm like, okay, no big deal. Our kids have been on escalators before. Shouldn't be a problem, right? Shouldn't be a big deal, you would think. Forgetting that, you know, it's the time of COVID and we haven't really been out anywhere for the most part. So they haven't been on an escalator in a while. So we get to the escalator. I'm like, all right, kids, let's get on. Again, I've got two wheelie bags. Kendra's got the baby, a backpack. The kids have all of their stuff. So just keep that in mind as, I'm, as we're talking here. So I'm like, all right, time to get on. And they just have this look of fear and terror of this moving staircase. And I'm like, I don't, what, what, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm like, all right, Kendra, why don't you get on first, show them, like, you, you, you just got to step onto the escalator, and it carries you down. It's no problem. So Kendra steps on, and we're like, all right, Livy, your turn. And she steps on, and she does the, I'm going to put one foot there. So she puts one foot on, leaves the other foot behind her, and it's like carrying her down. I don't know if you've seen the movie Elf, but when Will Ferrell's character first steps on, he does the splits all the way up. That's us going down the, uh, the escalator, okay? So just keep that in mind. So she's about to stumble. So I grab her stuff. So I'm gra I grab her suitcase. Kendra grabs her and like gets her on. And finally, okay, we got one on there. We're good to go. Then it's me and Zayden. By this time, there's a line behind us, so just keep that in mind too. <clears throat> So I'm like, all right, buddy, you saw how live. You got you to step on with both feet. And he's like, okay, I got this. And then he does the same thing. He puts one foot on, and he starts going. So I grab his back. So now I've got four suitcases that I'm trying to grab, and he's like barely on there. I'm trying to grab him too. He's about to fall down. Some stranger grabs him by the backpack, keeps him from tumbling down. It was a disaster, y'all. It was a disaster, but we made it, and we're here safely. It was great. But that's the thing. Like, you can't halfway step onto an escalator, right? That's not how it works. You've got you to full commit to that thing. You've got to step on both feet and just go down. That's what it's like following Jesus. You can't halfway follow Jesus. It's not going to work. You're going to stumble down the escalator. That's not what's meant to happen for us. 
Jesus wants it all. He doesn't want halfway followers. He wants all of us. He wants everything that we have. He wants our heart, our soul, our mind, everything. And again, we would agree with that, right? We, we would agree with that statement. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, and you know, I'll, I'll just speak for me. If I'm honest with myself, I would say there, there are times that I fall short of that. There are times where, where I do halfway follow Jesus. There are times where, where I let the things of this world tempt me and pull me away from full devotion to Jesus. And, and that's the thing, right? When we're in this world, we are constantly having things thrown at us from every side to, to give our attention to, to give our lives over to. We're constantly tempted to be pulled away from full devotion to Jesus. And we could come up with, with a long list, but there's things that, that we tend to give our lives to over Jesus, right? Like things like comfort. Things like comfort. We, we, we can tend to be tempted to, to give preference to what's going to bring me the most comfort rather than what's it going to mean to follow Jesus, but what's going to give me the most comfort? So we can give our lives to comfort. We can give our lives to safety. What's the thing that's going to keep my family, keep me safe and protected? I'm going to do that first and foremost. Money, material wealth. I mean, this is, this is all over the Bible. Jesus talks about money more than almost any other topic. Why does he do that? Because he knows how easy it is to give our lives to money and wealth and material possessions of this world. We can give our lives to that. We can chase after that first and foremost. Our jobs. Our jobs. How often are we tempted to give everything to our jobs? We give, we give full devotion to our careers. Status. We try to achieve a certain status in life or, or others' opinion of us. We, we try to give so much and work so hard so that that one person will give us approval. That's really what we're after. Our kids. Our kids are awesome. I love my kids. Got three of them. They're great. I love them. But I can chase after their stuff, what they want, what I want for them more than I can Jesus. Politics, right? If anything, the last two election cycles and especially the last like two years have taught us, it's how much of our identity we can wrap up in politics. How much of, of, our, of our happiness, of our comfort, of our sense of safety can be wrapped up in who's sitting in what office. I won't go too far down that road. It's only my second week here, so I'm not trying to make enemies yet. Um, media. Media, there, there's stats out there that tell us that we as Americans spend 7 to 12 hours a day consuming some form of media. Social media, news, TV, whatever it is, Netflix, you name it. I mean, you're spending that much time, that is your primary discipler. And that's something like we're just passive with it. We're just watching, we're just taking in, and we don't realize how it's shaping us. Look, these are all things that can pull us away from full devotion to God. These, these are all sorts of things that, that we can give our lives to other than Jesus or, or before Jesus, right? And, and look, none, not all of these are bad. It's not bad to have a job. It's not bad to have kids. It's not bad to consume some media every now and then. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying all of these things are evil and wicked, but here's the problem. When we take these good things that the Lord has given us, that the Lord has blessed us with, that the Lord has given us opportunity to have, when we take those things and we elevate them above Jesus, when we love them and those things or those people more than Jesus, it becomes a bad thing. It becomes an idol in our hearts. It becomes something that, that we desire more than Christ. And that's an issue. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when these good things that we have become an issue. All right, so what does it look like to give full devotion to God? Just, just a couple of thoughts here before we move on. What does it look like to, to follow Jesus? Well, one of the ways, it, it means that, that God gets first call on my time and priorities. God gets dibs on my time and my priorities. Uh, one of the biggest ways we spell love is T-I-M-E, right? The things that we love and care about, the people that we love and care about, we give our time to. Uh, that's how, one of the ways that we show that we actually care about that person. We, we care about that thing. If you want to know what you really, truly love and care about, look how you prioritize your time throughout the day. And look, here's the reality that the difficulty can be and the temptation can be is that we give preference to those things and God gets our leftovers. You know, yeah, I'll read my Bible if I have time by the, at the end of the day. You know, if, if I have time, I'll spend some time in prayer before I go to sleep at night. 
You know, if I've got nothing better going on on the weekends, sure, then, then I'll go to church. Then I'll go check it out. But you know what? The Braves won last night, and it was, they were up late, and you know what? I'm tired, so I'm just going you know, it'll be all right if I miss a week. It's fine. That doesn't apply to y'all because you're here, so just, you know, keep note of those that, that aren't. You know, we, we give God our leftovers, right? I mean, I know I do sometimes. I know I do sometimes. But that's not truly loving God. If we love God, we'll spend time with him. We'll, we'll make time to spend in his word. We'll make time to spend in prayer with him. We'll make a gathering together with other believers a priority in our lives. That's how we show we love God. So God gets first call on our time and priorities. Another one uh, is we, we walk in obedience to what Jesus tells us in his word. That, that's a big way that we show that we love God, that we choose his way over ours and over the world. First uh, John 2, starting verse 3, says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we, if we say we love God, but then we live contrary to his word, if we chase after other things rather than him, like I'm not telling you this, the Bible says we're a liar. We're a liar. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to other people. So we have to walk in obedience to, to his ways, to his commands, make his ways what we desire most. Because again, at the end of the day, we know that his ways are better, right? Like our God is a good God that wants to give us good gifts. So when he tells us, hey, this is the way, we can know that that's the best way for me. But look again, we're, we're not perfect. Like I'll be the first to admit, I, I stumble with this all the time. So what's the response? When I struggle to walk in obedience to his commands, when I stumble, when I fall, when I give into temptation, what do I do? I run back to Jesus. That's what, that's what shows us that we love him. And when we, when we stumble, when we sin, when we fail, the devil wants us to run and hide in shame, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, hiding away from God in shame, in bitterness, all of those things. He, he wants us to cower away from God. But instead, God says, hey, when you mess up, come back to me. Come back to me. First John, again, we've got a lot of verses in First John here. First John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we stumble and fail all the time. Right before this in First John chapter 1 says, If you claim that you're without sin, again, you're a liar and you're not following God. We all stumble. We all sin. What's our response in that moment? One of the ways we show that we love God is that we run back to him. We confess our sin, which says, yes, Lord, I agree that what I did was a sin in your eyes. According to your word, what I did was wrong and sinful, shouldn't have done that. We confess, and then we repent, which means we turn back to Jesus. We say, I'm not going down that way anymore. I'm not going there anymore. I'm going back to Jesus. We confess, and we repent. And another way that we show that we love God is we keep a loose grip on the things of this world. We keep a loose grip on the things of this world. When we love God, it means that we're going to love him more than his creation. We're going to love the giver more than the gifts that he gives us. We're going to love God more than this world. Look, as we mentioned, we could all make a long list of the things that we chase after other than Jesus, the things of this world that we give our lives to, that we give our devotion and our time and our love to. We can make a long list of those things. Nope. All right. We can make a long list of those things. But we have to hold those things with open hands. We have to hold those things with a, with a loose grip if we're going to love God. We're constantly tempted. We're constantly told, chase after this, come after this. And what we need to remind ourselves of in those moments is that those things are a liar. Those things are not going to give us the satisfaction and fulfillment that they promise. They're going to leave us broken, disappointed, and ultimately destroyed. We have to chase after Jesus. So we hold a loose grip to the things of this world. Jesus tells us this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus tells us we can't chase after two things. 
We can't live for the things of this world and Jesus equally. One of those is going to win out. Either we're going to chase more after the things of this world and less after Jesus or the other way around. We have to make that choice every moment of every single day. We have to choose in this moment, I'm going I'm to love God more than these things. I'm going to follow God more than I do this because we can't follow two masters. And Jesus gives us an example right there, money. Again, this is, he constantly brings this up because this is such an easy way for us to be pulled away from God is chasing after the material blessings of this world. And we can't do it. We can't do it. And one of the best ways to fight against that, if, that's, if I'm talking to you and you're like, man, I struggle with that. Yeah, Travis, I hear you, man. I, that, is a, that is a difficult way for me to, I mean, I'm constantly tempted to chase after the material possessions of this world. You know what the best way to fight against that? Be really generous. Be like insanely crazy generous because when we're generous with what the Lord has blessed us with, it reminds us that it all comes from him, that he's in charge of it all, that he's the giver of those things. It's not up to us. We don't provide for ourselves. He's our provider. All right, so those are just some of the ways that that we love God with full devotion. And here's the thing, when, when we do that, when we chase after him, when we give him full devotion, we give him everything, what we find is that we find true satisfaction and fulfillment in him. And look, if we're honest, like that's what we're really chasing after. When we chase after work, status, others' approval, money, our kids, whatever it is, we're looking for some sort of satisfaction. We're looking for, for some sort of fulfillment. And the world says you can find it here. But again, the world is a liar. Only Jesus can provide satisfaction and fulfillment. Let's seek that in him. That's the only place we're going to be able to find it. And when we do that, when we find satisfaction and fulfillment in him, it makes following the second command so much easier. So the first one, love God with everything, full devotion to him. The second thing he says is to love others, love people. Jesus said the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And he actually says that, that, that these two commandments are tied together. Upon these two commandments hinge all the law and prophets. What he's saying there is, is your entire Bible can be summed up as love God and love people. And you've got to have both. You can't do one without the other. You can't obey one and neglect the other. That's not how this works. One of the ways that you show that you're, you're truly loving God with everything is by loving your neighbor as yourself. The best way to love your neighbor, the ways that God has called us to, is to build that love for others off of our love for God. You can't have one without the other. We've got to do both. So what does it look like? What does it mean to, to love your neighbor as yourself? Well, thankfully, and again, this is why I love the Bible, Jesus answers that. He answers that, and it's found in a parable in Luke chapter 10. I'm sure you went over this in your time with Luke over the last year, but I want to go back to that. It's Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I want to read that for us because, again, Jesus answers this exact question. And there's so, man, I wish I could spend like just a ton of time, but I'm not, I promise I won't keep you guys here until 2 o'clock. But there's so much good stuff in this parable. So I want to read it, uh, and then we'll just uh, summarize it a little bit here. Says this starting in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer, so same kind of thing, expert in the Jewish law as we see in Matthew 22, stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. All right, so that should have been the end of the story. That guy should have been like, Oh, man got the answer right. Awesome. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to love God with everything. I'm going to love my neighbor as himself. But he just, you know, he couldn't help himself. He just couldn't help himself. So he continued to press. And he says this, verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself. Okay, so what that means is, is he's trying to prove himself right. He's trying to justify himself. Being well, What he's asking with this question, this next question, what he wants Jesus's response to be is, man, you're doing great. You just keep doing what you're doing, and you're good to go. That's what it means, desiring to justify himself. He's trying to prove himself right. So he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Basically asking, who am I supposed to love? Who, who, what, what types of people, what, what groups of people, who should I love? That's a wrong question to ask. Shouldn't have done that. And Jesus replied, a man, and he tells a story. This is what Jesus does. He tells a parable in response to these kind of questions. He replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. All right, so this guy traveling gets robbed, beaten up, left on the side of the road, just about to die. 
Let's keep going. What happens next? Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Man, what a stroke of luck. A priest. I mean, this is the guy, like, top of the line Jewish leader, right? Like, this is the guy who, who was supposed to be the most righteous of all the Jewish people. A priest just happens to be walking by. Surely this guy's going to help, right? No, no, he doesn't. It says, so a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. That's messed up, y'all. Saw the guy, saw him, and went, nope, I'm going to go around this way. I'm going to go around over here. I'm not looking, I'm not looking. So that's, that's messed up. We shouldn't do that. Verse 32, all right, so this is a priest. Supposed to be the most righteous guy. Doesn't do it. So likewise, a Levite. Now, a Levite was a guy who assisted the priest in the temple. Again, an, another person who was at the, should be at the upper echelon of righteousness in the Jewish community. A Levite comes down. Man, again, what a stroke of luck. A priest comes by. Maybe he was just having a bad day. He was busy, had somewhere to be. Surely the Levite's going to help, right? Wrong. So likewise, a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. That's two people, supposed to be the most righteous people, passing by on the other side. Does nothing for this guy. But a Samaritan. All right, so let's stop there for a second. A Samaritan. Just so you guys know, Samaritans, uh, this was kind of a, a mixed race of people in the Jewish community. So uh, when, I'll try to give summarize the history here. When the northern kingdom of Israel was defeated and overtaken by the Assyrians, uh, some of them were taken into exile, some of them stayed. And some of those that stayed married Assyrians and they created a new race of people that the Jewish people and, and those in that world at that time referred to as the Samaritans. So the Samaritans settled in Samaria and that was, uh, you know, Jesus grew up in Galilee. That was kind of the northern part of Israel. And then Jerusalem's kind of in the southern part. Samaria was this kind of middle section. And here's the thing about Samaritans. Jewish people hated Samaritans. Hated them. Incredibly racist towards the Samaritans. Couldn't stand them. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. Thought that they were just the lowest of the low people. Didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans. So try to imagine as Jesus is answering this guy's question, who am I supposed to love? And he points out that the two people that this guy would have held in high esteem, a priest and a Levite, did nothing to help this man. And now he says, but a Samaritan? His mind's immediately going, well, of course the Samaritan's not going to help. I bet, you know what Jesus is going to say? Nick? I bet he says that the Samaritan came and just finished finished off the job. He just went ahead and killed that guy, finished him off, took whatever else he could, and got out of there. I bet that's what the Samaritan's going to do. That's the view that Jewish people had of Samaritans at this time. But again, this is the beauty of what Jesus does here. He just turns all of that around. He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now Jesus responds back to this guy, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And Jesus said, The one who showed him mercy. Can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan man. Can't even, can't even say that. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You want to know who you're supposed to love? That person. That person that you think lowly of. That person that you don't want to be around. That person that you don't like. You're supposed to love that person. That's your neighbor. That's the person you love as much as you love yourself. That's what Jesus is saying here. So what else can we draw from this parable about loving our neighbor as ourselves? Well, there's three aspects of love that this points out. The first one is compassion. When the Samaritan saw the man in need, it says that he had compassion on him. He had compassion. And that word that's used for compassion, it's this, this deep-seated emotional response that we have. It's this thing that, that starts deep within us. See, that's where love starts. It, it begins as this emotional response to those around us. We are to have compassion. It means that we are to, to deeply care about others. We're to have a, a deep concern for other people around us, for them and what happens to them. And not just people we know, right? Like, that's the easy part. We, if that was it. If it was just, hey, love, love the people you want to, man, easy. We can all obey that, right? We're supposed to love everybody this way. We're supposed to have compassion for everyone. That Samaritan didn't know this guy. He had no idea who this was, a complete stranger. But he sees him in need. And he has compassion on him. 
He has compassion. Throughout the gospel, Jesus said when, when he looks out on the crowds, he has compassion on the crowds. We as his followers, we're going to claim to be a Christ follower. We're to have compassion on others. We're to have compassion on one another. This is where love begins. We're to have compassion. But it can't just stay with this deep emotional response to those around us. It has to spill out into action. That's the second part of love here that we see. It starts with compassion, and it's to lead us to action. So if we have a deep care for others, if we have compassion for others, it can't stay there. True biblical love has to spill out into action. We have to do something. See, the priest and the Levite, they, they, they saw somebody and they passed by. They did nothing. That's not love. We know that's not love. That's clearly not love. What would the Samaritan do, though? Not only did he have compassion, he acted on his compassion. He acted. That is love. That's how we demonstrate love. And, and look, we know this, right? We know those that we, we love and care about, we can't just say that I love and care about them. We actually have to demonstrate that love with our lives, with what we do, right? We know that. The Bible confirms this. Again, another passage in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, starting verse 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. Another way to say that is, is has no compassion towards them. Closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? How can we possibly say we love God if we see those in need and we do nothing about it? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Biblical love, Christ-honoring love for one another, is love that is in deed and in truth, not just with our words, but with our actions. Love requires compassion and action. The third thing that we see here from the Samaritan, love has compassion, action, and third is sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. True, biblical, Christ-honoring love requires sacrifice. If we love others this way, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. Look at what it costs the Samaritan. When we read the story, what did it cost the Samaritan? First, it cost him time. Time and convenience, right? This guy was on a journey. He was off to do something. And yet he saw this person in need. And he said, I'm putting a stop to everything else. I'm stopping everything that, that I have going on, and I'm going to love this guy. He gave up his time and convenience, stopped his journey for a whole day. We have no idea what this guy was doing. Obviously, he's going somewhere. He's got something going on. He's got some to-do list, some schedule to keep, and he says, you know what? I'm giving that up so that I can love this guy. What else did it cost? It cost him money. The Samaritan spent real money helping this guy out. Again, a complete stranger. Spent real money helping this guy. He, he paid for him to stay at an inn. He gave the innkeeper extra money and said, hey, if you go over that, guess what? I'm going to pay you back. Gave up his own resources to bandage this guy up and care for him. Loving others is going to cost us something. It's going to require sacrifice. We love others in this way. It might cost us our time. It might cost us our to-do list, our, our schedule, it might cost us our priorities, our day off. It might cost us real money and resources. It's going to cost us our preferences. We don't always get to choose who we love and how we love them, right? Again, if it was just up to us to decide that, this command is easy. But it's going to require sacrifice. So what does this look like? What are some practical ways we can love in this way? Look, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to drive around looking for somebody beat up, half dead on the side of the road, and bring them to a hotel. All right? You don't have to do that. I mean, if that happens, you should help out. Don't be like the priest and Levite. But, but we don't have to complicate this. A way to sacrificially love others, simply, you, you got somebody who's, who's busy in life. They got a lot going on, and you're, you're going to provide dinner for them. Maybe they just had a baby, or they had, they had a loss in the family. You're going to take dinner off of their mind. You're going to send them a meal. You're going to make them a meal, drop it by. Helping people with stuff around their house. I, I remember when we had Livy. So Zayden was six months old, and then we had a newborn. Uh, so we had a newborn and a six-month-old, and it was in summer. She was born at the end of June, and uh, it, we just, life got away from us. So one of the things that I just couldn't keep up with was yard work. So like our grass was like knee-high walking through there. Uh, one of our neighbors paid for their own lawn company to take care of our lawn one day. And then again, I, you know, two months later, still couldn't get to it. I had a buddy drive by my house. He's like, hey, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of your lawn for you. 
Like this was years ago, five years ago, and I still remember how much that meant to me. That was an hour out of their time. That was a few dollars for my neighbor to help have their long guy take care of it. But that meant so much. Again, this doesn't have to be complicated. Another way that we can sacrificially love others the way that God has called us to, when you have a conversation with somebody and they're talking about what's going on and you say, man, I'm going to pray for you. Let's not let that just be something that other Christians say. Like sometimes we say that, we go about our lives, we never pray for that person. All right, look, this is a safe place. We can all admit this. We all do this, all right? So next time when somebody says, hey, I could really use prayer for this, and you say, I'm going to pray for you, actually pray for them. That's a huge way we can love people. That's a big deal. That is no small thing. Look for, as we gather together as a church on Sundays, an easy way to love people is, is to keep eyes open for those that might be coming for the first time. So, I mean, I, I don't know that person. So you know what? I'm going to stop my conversation with those that I'm comfortable with, with those that I'm friends with, and I'm going to go welcome that person. Because you know what? If I was a new person in a new place with these modulars, I don't know where to go. I don't know what's happening here. I'm gonna, I would want somebody to come and show me love and, and guide me around and, and be a good friend to me. So I'm going to do that for other people. Again, this doesn't have to be complicated. Be a good neighbor, like an actual good neighbor. You got neighbors around? Get to know them. Get to know their stories. Get to know their lives. Pray for them. Spend time with them. But we got people in here with a bunch of young kids. Y'all, we, we can trade off babysitting, all right? That's an easy way to look. Babysitting's expensive these days. I don't know if you guys saw the going rates for babysitting. It's crazy. It's crazy. Offer up free babysitting. Trade off. Uh, the best way that you can, share, you can love somebody else in your life, share the gospel with them. Share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for their sins, and he wants to rescue them, save them, invite them to church with you. That's one of the, the biggest, most important ways that we can love others. As we mentioned earlier, be generous. Be generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Let's be generous with what the Lord has blessed us with. Another way we can do this is serving one another, especially at church. Special church, we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, and we're in the process of kind of building out some volunteer teams. Look, if we're going to do this thing, we're going to launch this church, we're going to do this church, we got to, we got to serve one another. It's going to require all of us working together to do this. I need you. We need each other. That's why the Lord has brought us here. He's brought us here. He's gifted us. And one of the reasons why is, is so that we can serve one another out of our giftings, out of our passion and love for one another. And look, we're going to spend time in a couple of weeks. I'm going to preach all sermon on this. And you're going to have a time where all of us are going to sign up for some volunteer teams. So you, don't have to, you don't have to wait till then. You want to do that? You come talk to me right afterwards. I would love to help you get connected. I would love to let you know some ways that we can go ahead and start serving one another. This is a huge way that we can love each other. Let's just, we don't need to make this more complicated than it is, right? Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as much as I seek my own happiness, my own comfort, my own peace, I'm to seek the happiness, peace, and comfort of those around me. As much as, you know, as, much as I, I long for food when I'm hungry, I'm to long to feed those that are hungry. As much as I, I seek friends for myself, I'm to be a good friend to others. As much as I love myself, I love those around me. I love the people around me. This is what it means to love people the way that God's called us to. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So as individual believers, those of us that, that, that claim the name of Jesus, say, yes, I am a Christ follower. I've put my faith in Jesus. He tells us the greatest commandment. What he calls us to is to love God with everything, full devotion to him and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we're called to do. And it's the same for us as we gather as a church. So again, as we think about what is the church at Haynes Creek supposed to be about? Well, two of those things we're supposed to be about, love God, love people. Love God, love others. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? It means that, that, that all that we do, Everything that we do means that we should lead one of us. We should lead each other to love God more and to love others as much as we love ourselves. Everything that we do. From our worship service. You know, we need to be asking questions like, is our worship service leading us to a deeper love of God and a deeper love for one another? Are, are the events that we're doing or not doing, is, is, is what we do as a church together as outreach events or whatever it may be, community events, is it leading us to love God and love others? Are we producing disciples that love God and love people? How are we treating those that visit for the first time? This is a good statement. You want to know if we're really loving God and loving others? Find out how first-time visitors are treated. That'll tell us real quick how we're doing. That's an easy barometer to check. Are we constantly looking for ways that we can serve one another and not just be served by one another? 
One of the things that just so you all know, again, just full open transparency with you, one of the things that I am praying against, I am praying against that we would ever be a church that has people just come in, enjoy the service, and go about their lives doing nothing. If what we're building here is a consumeristic church, man, we're doing it wrong. This is not what God called us to. One of the things he calls us to when we gather as the people of God is to serve one another. That's the kind of church we need to be. Are we being generous? Not just as individuals. Are we being generous as a church? Are we being good stewards of what God has given us? Look, I know we've got strong opinions about the modulars around here. I get it. But this is what the Lord has given us. And we're going to be good stewards of that. We're, we're a church with limited people, limited resources, but we are going to be good stewards. This is how we love God and love others. So these are the kind of questions we need to constantly be asking ourselves. How can we be a church that loves God and loves people? So when asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus tells us there's actually two. You love God with everything, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. This is what we're to be about. Not just as individuals, but as a church. And look, I know like, we, we talked a lot. I went over a lot. I know I can talk fast sometimes, especially when I get going. I, I need to remind myself, hey, slow down, Travis. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. So y'all be patient with me. I know we talked about a lot. And I know that, that thinking in terms of this full devotion to God and loving others as much as I love myself, I know that that can feel burdensome. I know that you're like, man, I, I don't even know where to start with that. I don't even know what to do with that. But I want you to remember, I want to remind you that we don't love God and love others out of our own strength. That's not what we're called to do. Because look, if that's, if that's what we're trying to do, if that's what we seek to do, seek how to obey this in our own strength, I'm just telling you right now, you are going to burn out real quick. You are going to be left empty, and you're going to be frustrated, and it's actually going to lead you away from loving God and loving people. Instead, we love out of his strength. We need to remind ourselves that we love, we're able to love, because God has first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, this is the, how the love of God was made visible. How, we, how are we able to see the love of God? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to the propitiation for our sins. God has shown us his love. God has displayed his love for us by the giving of his son. So on those days where the world is constantly tempting us, constantly leading us away from the love of God, we remind ourselves of what God has done for us. We remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he gave his life for us. The things of this world can't say that. The things of this world have given us nothing. They, they give us empty promises that leave us broken, frustrated, disappointed, and ultimately destroyed, and ultimately will lead us to separation from God for all of eternity. That's what the world offers. God offers us forgiveness, eternal life, and his son. So when the world is tempting us to love it more than God, we remind ourselves, no, you know what? God loves me more than you. God loves me more than that because he gave his son for me. When those days of, of loving others can be difficult, when we come across those that are just a little bit difficult to love, like we all got those people, right? <laughs> we all got them. Those moments where, where it's hard to be sacrificial in our love for one another, we remind ourselves what Jesus gave up for us. We remind ourselves how much he sacrificed for us. Jesus gave up the perfection and the glory of heaven to come to earth, to live a perfect life, and then die as an innocent man on a cross for me and for you. Jesus gave it all for us. Let that reminder spur us on to love one another sacrificially. Let us love out of the truth of the gospel Remember what God has done. Let, us, let, let that lead us to love God and love others. And look, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I just want to reiterate what we, what we see in his word, that God loves you. Like Here's the truth of the gospel, that you are more flawed 
than you would ever know, than you would ever care to believe, and that at the same time, you are more loved than you could ever imagine. That's the gospel. That even when we were sinners, Christ loved us and gave his life for us. And he promises us, when we come to him in faith, he promises to forgive us. He promises us eternal life. He promises us fulfillment and satisfaction. So if you're here and you're searching and you've seen the disappointments of this world, you've seen how much this world can just let you down, I want to invite you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, the only one who truly loves you and has given you everything. He is reaching down, ready to rescue, and all we have to do is respond in faith to him. All we have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I want to live for you. I'm done living for these things. I want to live for you. I want to follow you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to lead us in a couple more songs before we end our time. And if this is you, you never put your faith in Jesus, I just want to encourage you, I want to ask you, let today be the day of your salvation. Let today be the day that you put your faith in Jesus. Welcome, come in to forgiveness, to freedom, to fulfillment and satisfaction. Only Jesus can do that. Let me pray for us. We'll stand together and worship. Jesus, Lord, I thank you for your love for us. Lord, we'll never, I'll never understand or be able to comprehend how much you love us and why, Lord. So often I turn away from you. So often I stumble and fall. So often I give my love and my devotion to the things of this world. And yet, Lord, you continue to pursue. You continue to come after us. You continue to offer chance after chance after chance. You promise to forgive us of all of our sins. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for that truth, Lord. I, I pray that we would remind ourselves in these days where it's difficult, in these days where it's hard to love you and to love others, Lord, I pray that we would remember the gospel, that we would remember what you have done for us and let that spur us on to love you and to love others. We thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. It is all because of you. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In your name we pray, amen.